Well, good morning, Grace Church, 11.30. We're so happy.
thousand times I fail, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, till I'm caught in your grace, everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades, never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. Sing your will above. Your will above all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself in bringing you Everlasting, your light will shine when all every voice never ending, never end. Your glory goes beyond all fame. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Yeah. Father, your will and not our own. We Above all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself in bringing you sing everlasting, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond. Come on, sing it with me, my heart, my soul. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Let justice and praise, let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Everlasting, your light will shine. All else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all faith. And the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out of my soul. Consume me from 
Come on, let's raise our voice. Let justice, let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Everlasting, your light will shine with all else fades. Never We love you. We praise you. In your name. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Grace Church. Y'all can stay standing because in a moment we're going to release the little children to the kids program. And also, if you do want to stay in service with kids, we have some amazing parent viewing rooms in the back, also known as cry rooms if it gets to that. Uh, and then also, I'd love for you to greet your neighbor, get to know them, introduce yourself. Ready, set, go. Well, glad you're all here. Welcome, friends. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors. Who are you? My name is Tira, and I'm the house church director here at Grace. Hello. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you. And uh, the, our church, we're all about uh, this is a safe place to experience Jesus. And so if you're new to Grace Church, uh, I, I want you to know that. And if you are new, after service, I encourage you go outside, hook a right. You'll see the information table. Uh, we'd love to meet you, get you connected. We have a gift for you. Um, and then also on the back of the chairs is a little QR code. Um, you can scan that. That's our digital connection card. There's all kinds of ways to plug in here at Grace, and all things Grace are on that digital connection card, so check that out. Uh, we have a couple announcements for you. The first one is child dedication. So next Sunday on the 18th, if you have a little one that you would like to dedicate to the Lord uh, in front of your church family, we encourage you to participate. You can go to gracesd.com slash events and find out more. We also have a newcomer's lunch. The newcomer's lunch uh, is uh, on the 25th, so it's two Sundays from now. And if you're new to Grace, you've been coming for a little while, but you would like to meet the pastors and some of the staff, hear about our mission, our vision, some of our beliefs, and ask any questions, we will feed you lunch and have a good time together. We'd love for you to attend gracesd.com slash events to sign up. Great. And our last announcement is that you might have seen all the tables outside. We have our house church fair for the next two weeks. And we'd like to invite you to go on out after service. If you are not in a house church, please stop by and check it out. Um, as you see, Sundays are really busy and we don't always get to meet a lot of friends. Um, but in a house church, you'll come together during the week, get to know each other, have a good meal, um, grow closer to the Lord, and then start to reach out to your neighbors. So we'd love to invite you to come on out after that. Um, we're also celebrating a special day today. We went 
a house church gets too big, which is a good problem, um, we start to multiply. And we, we take our house church and we start to send out a few and make a new house church. And so we have four house churches that are, are, are bulging. They're ready to grow. And we have some new house church leaders we want to introduce you to. Um, if they can come up right now. Let's get up for our new house church leaders. Yay. Come on up, guys. Awesome. So we have eight of them. You'll see on the slide, one of these might be for you if you're not in a house church. Maybe you're looking for one, a young adult's house church, a young couple's one, or just a, um, one. The Sarah Mesa one is all age, all demographics. So we've got uh, Mary and Darren here. There's Sarah Mesa. We've got Chase and Oksana, Thomas and Mesh, and then we also have Grayson and Heather. And so these guys have been so faithful in their current house church, and their leaders are um, they are equipped and ready and are going to send them out. And we just really view them as our house church family, as missionaries here in our local neighborhoods. And so we hope you'll join us in praying for them right now. Yeah, we want to pray a blessing and a commissioning over them. And so if you would bow your head and join me in praying for them. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for these house church leaders who have been discipled and formed in a house church and are ready to, uh, to multiply, to be sent to start a new house church. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give them the mind of Christ. God, I pray that they, that they, would, be, uh, they would know the truth of Jesus and would be able to teach the truth of Jesus through the word of God, that you would illuminate in them. Um, God, the ways of Jesus, and that they would teach us uh, the ways of Jesus. I pray that for their hearts, that they would heart, have hearts of pastors and shepherds, God, that they would, uh, you would bless them to, uh, to form a spiritual family that love each other, and, and they uh, have chemistry and connection, and, and God, they would um, cry with those who are mourning and, and laugh with those who have moments of joy, God, that it would be a true spiritual family, God. And, and I would pray that they would have the hands and feet of Jesus, God, that they would uh, encourage and cast vision for the house churches to be missional, to be outreach-focused, God, to, to make an impact in their neighborhood and in their community, God. And so may you protect them, may you bless them as they launch their new house churches. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for our house church leaders. Good morning, Grace Church. My name is Darren Todd, and I'm part of the newly commissioned Sarah Mesa House Church Number 2, and I serve in First Impressions. Um, will you all please stand for the reading of Scripture? This morning I'll be reading from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 20. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those that happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Darren. Good morning, Grace Church. How are you? It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody? Yeah. Man, my assumption was if you were at the 1130, you didn't care about the game that much. Uh, was I wrong in that? Uh, go 49ers, anybody? <laughs> Okay, go Chiefs, yeah, 
Go Taylor Swift. Nice. Highly controversial intro to the sermon. I like that. Awesome. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Acts chapter 17? We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, we're back in the book of Acts, following the story of the early church as they are taking the good news of Christ from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Last week, we met a group of people called the Bereans, and they had a couple of features about them that were extraordinary. They, they eagerly received the word of God, they examined the word of God daily, and they uh, walked in faith and obedience to the word of God. And so today is a very different group. Paul is waiting uh, to go to Corinth. He's hanging out in a city called Athens. He's not even supposed to be there. And the, the story says he's waiting on his friends, and he's just looking around. And as he looks around, he sees all these idols, and he just gets bummed out about all of the idols in the city. And so this is before they had phones. So he could have just been scrolling on his phone while he waited, but instead he was seeking, uh, all, like looking around and seeing all of the spiritual things. Uh, this past week, uh, me and Scott and Jesse and Desiree and Shauna, we went to Guatemala. So from Friday, Monday to Friday, we were in Guatemala scouting like long-term partnership opportunities and connections for our church, and it was a great trip. But from LAX to Guatemala, the airplane had no Wi-Fi, no movies. I didn't download anything. I didn't bring a book. And so I was like radio silent on the airplane. Uh, while everyone else was doing their thing, I was just like looking around like a psychopath, right? Like <laughs> I had nothing to do. And so uh, Paul is not like me. He was, he was just looking around, getting distressed by the idols. And there's, there's good reason for this. Uh, Athens is one of the oldest cities in the world. It's the epicenter of philosophical thought. Uh, their care about religion exceeded all other cities in the ancient world. Historians said there was idols created for mercy and shame, fame, desire. There was worship of Zeus, worship of God Apollos. Athens is named after Athena, the god of wisdom. And so in the city of Athens, there was this hill called Mars Hill. It was this big rocky area where they would put idols and then there was a group that met on Mars Hill called the Areopagus. So I have a photo of this. So this is Athens, and that big rocky mound right there is Mars Hill. And if you go to the next photo, you could go up the hill, you can go on the staircase, and up there you would see the idols and what was going on. And to the right, this large inscription piece uh, is actually the um, inscription of Acts chapter 17 on the side of the, the hill to this day. So if you went to modern-day Athens to Mars Hill, you would see... Acts chapter 17. So this is where Paul shows up, and there is so many different spiritual things happening. Uh, he starts to talk to someone about it, and it goes well. Like, people are like, wow, this is interesting. This is new. Paul, you should come and to talk to the Areopagus. So then he goes up to the Areopagus, and they, they look at him. They must not know who this brother is, because they're like, Paul, would you like to speak to us? And they don't know they're talking to, like, the Apostle Paul, who's, like, ever ready to preach and so like, hey, you want to speak? He's like, yes, I would definitely like to speak. I will be speaking right now, gloriously, for the next few minutes. So I'm going to read to you 12 verses that are uh, inscribed on the side of the rock of Mars Hill today called the Areopagus Sermon. So verse 22, Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had the inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about. He's like, hey, you guys are religious, unknown God. Here we go. I'm telling you about him. Verse 24. 
He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. For one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they would rise and fall and determine their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some of them laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. So this is Paul's sermon to the hyper-spiritual Areopagus, where he's giving them the gospel in the context of all kinds of other philosophical thoughts. And if we are honest, our culture today, 2024, is not that different from Athens in this sense. Just about everyone you meet would say, I am spiritual but not religious. Like there are very few atheists, I'm not saying they're not out there, very few agnostics. Nine out of ten people would affirm the idea, I am spiritual. And here's what they mean by that. Spirituality is just a simple definition. It means connecting with the divine through your own personal experience. Uh, have, have you seen the t-shirts that say the beach is my church or like the ocean is my church? If I wasn't a Christian, I would like do that. Be like the ocean is my church. But the idea is I connect with God in my own way. And whatever way I choose is fine with me and whatever way you choose is fine for you as long as you don't say my way is wrong and I won't say your way is wrong. That understanding is all around us. You saw it in your family on the holidays. You see it at the workplace. It is prevalent on the college campus. If there was an equivalent to Mars Hill and Areopagus, it would be the current modern-day college campus. There is hypersensitivity to all of these spiritual experiences. And if we're honest, we could create statues for all of it. Like, this is what my family believes. This is what my workplace believes. These are the doctrines and thoughts that we have in our world. They're everywhere. And Paul moves into that world, and he preaches this sermon. He he goes right out of the gate, like he doesn't make a Taylor Swift joke or anything. He's just like, hey, thank you for letting me speak. I will start right now. And they're like, okay, start right now, right out of the gate. He's like, the Lord of heaven is absolutely self-sufficient. That's his opening statement. You're like, whoa. He's like, I see that you guys have all kinds of idols and you left one out. Let me tell you about this one. He has no needs. He's not made by human hands. He doesn't live in human temples. He is the uncreated one, the all-sustaining one. He is the one that gives life and breath. In him we live and move and breathe and have our being. Do I have your attention, Areopagus? They're like, whoa, all right, strong start. Let's see where he goes from here. Number two, this self-sufficient God created all various nations from one man and determines how long a nation survives and how its borders extends. Not only did God create everything and have no needs, he designed you to live where you live and be where you are. He, he knows who you're going to sit next to in math class. He knows who you're going to be next to in your apartment complex. He has designed all of that. Nothing is random. Even the fact that Paul was sharing to the Areopagus was not 
on accident. Next point, God's purpose in ruling the nations like this was to put people in search of him. God is doing all of that so that people would seek after him, would want to know him, would see who he is. Paul is not rude to them. He walks around, he sees all their idols, and in a sense he says, I can see that you're seeking the divine. I can see that you're after an engagement with the supernatural. That's really beautiful. Let me tell you who is really the living God. Let me tell you who can really satisfy. So people are on a search for him, and here's the good news. The God you're searching for is not a distant deity. He is near to those who seek him. The God you're looking for was not made by human hands. He's he's seeking you right now, and he's actively inviting you to seek him. He will connect with us, and he has made himself known to us, not just in some supernatural revelation, but by his son coming into the world, living perfectly, dying on the cross, resurrecting from the dead. And now that his son is resurrected from the dead, this is how Paul brings the sermon home. The time of ignorance is over. We're done. God has been gracious in the past, but Christ has been crucified and raised from the dead. He is the ruler and the judge over all the world. And now Jesus is the necessary object of saving faith from now on. All other idols must go. Paul is clear. The time is up. Repent. Repent of all these false beliefs. Believe in Jesus Christ. He's raised from the dead. He will save you on the day of judgment. And some people just laugh at him. Now, I've never had people laugh and get up and leave, not saying you can't do that. It's on the table. I'm just saying I've never had that happen to me personally. But these guys in this hyper-spiritual context, uh, Paul tries to do one thing. He doesn't let Jesus get lumped in with everything else. He's like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, but he's not among other gods. He stands alone as the only God. He quotes a poet from their day. He talks about things in their context, and, and he shares with them who Jesus is, and some people laugh. And they walk away. In this story, Paul gives us a beautiful, compelling master class on how we are to engage in the work of missions, how we are to contextualize the gospel. Uh, The story says some people laughed, some people wanted to talk more, some people believed. And then it says his friends showed up and they went to Corinth. He just leaves. He's like, I was just hanging out anyways. So I preached a little bit and now I'm gone. And I like to imagine, I'm just making this up, but that the Areopagus And the next few days, the next few weeks, they would walk around Mars Hill, and they would see that statue to the unknown God, and they would be haunted by the words of Paul, the time of ignorance is over. Repent and believe in Jesus and be saved from the judgment of God. So that's what Paul does. He sows the seeds of the gospel, and it's really beautiful. And so, church, what can we learn from this? 2024 San Diego, what does Acts 17 have to do with us? Well, like I said, this is a master class in mission. This is a master class in contextualizing the gospel. And so let's walk through this. What did Paul do that we can learn from? So really practically, number one, Paul was burdened by the spirituality of his day. Uh, I hate that this is the first point because this is the hardest point. Um, I do not know as a pastor how to teach you to have burden for the lost. It's impossible. I could tell you that San, San Diego has Four million people and less than 5% of them know Jesus, but it is very difficult to communicate to someone how they can have a burden for their lost family members, their lost friends, and truly have like a, uh, an emotional response to the fact that we have friends and family and coworkers that don't know Jesus. When you read Acts 17, it almost feels like Jesus, when he goes up on the mountain in Jerusalem and weeps over the city. 
Jesus looks down on Jerusalem and just starts crying. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you together like a chick, chicken gathers chicks. Like I want to bring you in close. And it brings him to tears. Paul sees the idols of the city and he, he doesn't feel hatred. He feels sorrow. This is, this is the tension we have to live in because let, let's be honest. The, the teachings of Jesus are increasingly out of sync with the moral vision of the world. One more time. The, the teachings of Jesus are increasingly out of sync with the moral vision of the world. And we have a choice to make because of this distinction. And most of us choose just to get mad or to get apathetic. And that's not what Paul does. Paul doesn't just get mad. He doesn't tell the disciples, hey, I'm so mad of all the idols in Athens. Uh, tonight, when it gets dark, let's go up to Mars Hill and kick down all the idols. Let's like kick them over and we'll set them on fire. And then we'll leave because we're mad and they shouldn't be worshiping idols up there. That, that's not what he does. His anger isn't the front loading emotion. It's tears. He pleads with God to do something. He's not rude or aggressive or judgmental. He reasons with them. He, he, he's burdened by them. And he, he logically walks them through to seeing who Jesus is. He doesn't let their personal experience be the authority, but he doesn't go about like rudely sharing the gospel. He progressively takes it to their hearts. And so he's burdened by the spirituality, but it doesn't stop there. Number two, Paul was able to interpret the spirituality of his day. Church, we must become experts at interpreting the Bible and experts at interpreting the culture. We must do both things because not everyone's going to receive the gospel the same way, and we need to know the best way to share with them. Jesus himself did this with the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Jesus says, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and follow me. Jesus never tells anybody else that. He only tells the rich young ruler that. When Jesus goes to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. The way you're thinking about God and religion is all backwards. Like, we got to start all the way over, Nicodemus. You must be born again. When Jesus talks to uh, the woman at the well, he, he talks to her about thirst and about worship and engages her where she is. When he sees Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, you're a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. So Zacchaeus, come down because we're going to your house today. We're going to your house today. And then he tells Zacchaeus about the gospel. And Zacchaeus spontaneously gives away and pays back debt. Other people don't do this. The centurion has a conversation with Jesus about authority because that is his context. So the gospel doesn't change. How we apply it changes. How we apply it changes. And in our cultural moment, if we are paying attention, there is something happening in our world that the gospel can speak to. Over the last five years, have you guys noticed that there is a hunger for justice in our world right now? Justice is everywhere. Young people want to see justice. We want to see reconciliation. Like we want all these beautiful things. But the sad truth is you can't get justice without forgiveness. And you can't get forgiveness without the gospel. Because if you want justice without forgiveness, you just want vengeance. And that's what culture is saying. We want justice, but we're not going to forgive, which means you want vengeance. If you want forgiveness, you got to get the gospel because God has forgiven me in Christ. And because God has forgiven in Christ, I can forgive you. Now I can actually seek justice. So the thing that the world most want, they can't get. They can't achieve it without the gospel. Have you noticed the passion currently for, for taking care of the migrant, the immigrant, the, 
the outcast, the vulnerable. You cannot do that without the doctrine of Imago Dei. It says we have all been made in the image of God. Every one of us has inherent value and worth given to us by our creator. In him we live and move and breathe and have our being. And because that is true, we must treat everybody a certain way with dignity and with honor and with value. You don't get caring for the vulnerable without the doctrine of Imago Dei. So we have to be people who can interpret the spirituality of our day. I've shown you this picture before, but this shows up on yards. These are yard signs that are out there that 10 years ago weren't, they didn't exist. Five years ago they didn't exist, but all of a sudden they popped up and now they're everywhere. I'm not, I don't have a hot take on this. I'm simply saying that is a, a secular creed that people are saying like, here's what I believe. Can you interpret that? Or do you just get mad? You know what we should do? We should go steal yard signs. That's what our, we should rally as a church, steal yard signs, burn them, and then everyone will know about God, right? It's like, guys, I don't know if you're watching, but that hasn't worked. And every single one of those things on that sign is not able to be achieved by the worldview that put that sign down. Only Christ can achieve these things. So I told you on my flight from L.A. to Guatemala, I was radio silent. But on my flight from Guatemala back to LA, I was prepared. And so, praise God, there was also Wi Fi on the flight. So, like in flight entertainment. So, for research purposes, from Guatemala to LA, I watched the Barbie movie. Yes, yeah. I don't care. You can judge me all you want. I'm free. I'm free from judgment. I was in Christ watching that movie. So, I'm studying Acts 17, knowing about this. And I watched the Barbie movie. And if you haven't seen the Barbie movie, it's engaging some massive social topics. It resonated with people like crazy. It did very well in the box office. It has, uh, you know, A-list actors leading the way. And it's exploring huge questions. What does it mean to be a woman? Huge questions. And what, what has dolls, how have dolls affected what it means to be a woman? There's this beautiful uh, monologue by America Ferreira, who I know from the Sisterhood of Traveling Pants. You guys, if you don't know that movie, then we shouldn't even be friends, right? Like, we're, that's greatness. That may be a perfect movie, maybe. Uh, when, when America Ferreira gives her monologue, like, you feel it because it resonates with you. You're like, that is speaking to our cultural moment. What does it mean to be a man, and how come men have abused and used the patriarchy to hurt people, and, and, and men need to feel what it feels like to be women, and women need to feel what it feels like to be men, and they're exploring all these dynamics, and at the end, they ask the biggest question in the world, which is, what was I made for? What was I made for? What does it mean to be human? And there's no, like, great plot twist in the movie. I mean, there's kind of a plot twist, but it's nothing crazy. I'm not going to, like, give it away to you, to you here, but what happens at the end, and I have I enjoyed it. I watched the whole thing. And then when it's over, I found myself realizing that this movie posed questions it could not answer. It's not enough. There's an emptiness you feel at the end of the movie because they, they want to know things that they themselves cannot provide the answers to. So you and I have got to step into the world full of questions and say, I know the one that can provide answers. I, only in Christ, can you find what it means to be human? 
Only in Christ can you find what it means to be male and female. He created them, and, and we are designed to, to help each other flourish through multiple mutual submission. And, and only in Christ do you have a king and a kingdom that is worthy of answering all these questions. That is what we have to be about, but instead we just get mad. And it's not working, church. So can you and I see through the cause, see through the campaign to what people are really seeking? They're really seeking God, and they don't even know it. And Paul knew that. So Paul doesn't just have a burden. He doesn't just interpret spirituality. He, he does the next step, which is Paul was able to connect their spirituality to the gospel. He was able to interpret the spirituality of their day as a springboard to a gospel conversation. We have got to learn how to do this. Last week, we talked about apologetics, like mentally, intellectually apologetics, this week, what you see in Acts 17 is that we have got to become people who are experts at what missiologists call emotional apologetics. Emotional apologetics. What that means is that the hurting world around us doesn't believe the church can speak to their emotional felt needs. In other words, let me, let me be as practical as I can. We have not shown the world that Christianity provides the best approach to understanding your identity. We have not shown that. We have not done the emotional apologetic work to say, if you're seeking to know who you are, the best place to find that is in the word of God and the people of God. Christianity has not shown that. Christianity promises a happiness and a love that is more desirable than any other happiness and love, yet we have not shown that. People would not say to us, man, you guys are the happiest people in the world. Oh, the most loving people in the world. You guys have the most secure identities in the world. That is what is offered in Christ, and we must become experts at showing that. Christianity provides a basis for making moral judgments in the world without becoming a legalistic Pharisee. We can look at the world and make moral judgments and say, this is what creates human flourishing. But the world does not look at the church and say, you guys should be in charge of human flourishing. They don't look at us for that. They go, it seems like everything y'all touch doesn't go so well. We are not providing emotional apologetics. We have to show the world that we have better resources to deal with our problems than anywhere else. We have the best resources to deal with problems, and we are not showing that. And I get it. It's, it's no easy task. If I'm honest, outrage is much more fun, and it's a lot easier. It's so much easier just to be mad. I love it. I just, I'm like, can we just be outraged today? Like, that's easier, funner. Like, oh, it feels good to be outraged every now and then. Can, amen, anybody? Just like, just a good, like, ugh. But the fruit of outrage, if you haven't been watching, doesn't work. And then the other side of it is affirmation is easy as well. But if you haven't been watching, the fruit of, the fruit of affirmation doesn't work. The Apostle Paul doesn't go into Mars Hill and show outrage. He doesn't go into Mars Hill and say, you know what, just keep your idols up. It's no big deal. Let me just add Jesus over here. It'll be fine. It is very difficult to stay in the culture without becoming like the culture. It is very difficult to be in the world but not of the world. We have got to toe that line because if we compromise the gospel, we lose the gospel. If we water down the gospel, we lose the gospel. If we pair the gospel with something it should have never been paired with, we lose the gospel. Anytime you think you're adding to the gospel, you're actually subtracting from the gospel. 
We have got to become experts at connecting people's felt needs with the beauty of Jesus. In Guatemala, the founder of Hope of Life showed us uh, this huge lagoon they're building. I haven't used the word lagoon in a long time. Besides when you play Candyland and you go through Licorice Lagoon in Candyland. Anybody? Anybody? Just me? My kids? Okay. I thought that would be funny. Sorry. Do that joke next week in the 830 where all the children are. Okay. So this brother built a lagoon. We're like, why'd you build a lagoon? He said, uh, the farmers in our city need water. Nobody has water. Everyone's struggling for water. And he said, that is a problem that the Christians and the church need to solve. I was like, I'm sorry, say that again. He's like, we don't, farmers don't have water, and that's a church problem. That's a Christian problem. So we dug this huge lagoon that's now hundreds of thousands of gallons of water that comes from the river, and we have a pipe that's going to go between 8 miles and 20 miles, and every single farmer is going to be able to receive water from this lagoon that we've built, and then we're going to go to those farmers, introduce ourselves, and say, hey, we're the ones providing water, and we're going to introduce them to living water. We're going to tell them about Jesus. We're going to meet a tangible need and then share with them about Jesus. They saw in their context a need. They met that need, and then they can show Christ. We have got to learn how to do that in our day. And if we do this, what will happen to us is the same thing that happened to Paul, which is point four. The gospel in any culture offends people and attracts people. It offends people and attracts people. When Paul started talking about the resurrection of the dead, verse 32, some laughed with contempt. Others said, we want to hear more, and others became believers. It's offensive to walk into Mars Hill and say, hey, I know you guys have a bunch of idols. I can see that you're seeking God. But I know the one true living God, the God who is self-sufficient, the God who created you, the God who made this moment happen. This moment was orchestrated from before the world began, Paul says. I know that God, and now I'm telling you about him, that his son Jesus is going to judge everyone in the world. And that was proven because he's the only one in history that raises from the dead. And apparently there's a rule. If you raise from the dead, you get to judge everybody. It's just like in the cards there. So he's the only one that's ever risen from the dead. So he will be the judge over all the world. And the time for ignorance is over. That is an incredibly offensive message. No matter how kindly you say it, you're calling someone an offender of God. You're telling them that Jesus alone saves them. That is offensive, and the only way you are willing to be rejected and to be offensive is if you truly have a burden and a love for lost people, for people that don't know Jesus. Hatred will not lead you to rejection. Being mad will not lead you to sharing the gospel. It will lead you to retreat further and further away from the culture. You actually have to be brokenhearted. To look at the world with tears in your eyes and say, I love you so much. I'm willing to be rejected by you to share this. But that's no easy task. That is no easy task. So in a room like this, there's two different groups of people. And, and what's happening between those groups is very different. If you're a follower of Jesus here, you, you should be, the Holy Spirit should be processing with you something along these lines. Like, do you have a burden for your friends and family that don't know Jesus? Are you too engaged with culture so that you're not actually able to influence culture because you look too much like the culture? Are you angry all the time? Are you affirming things you shouldn't affirm? Are you mad at stuff you shouldn't be so mad about? 
Like the Holy Spirit could be doing all of that stuff in you, but at the end of the day for this side, you should be asking God, God, give me a burden for the lost. God, give me a burden for people that don't know you. God, help me share the good news with people that don't know you. And then if you're over here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you should be asking the question, is this true? Is Jesus truly who he says he is? Because I think if you're honest here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've probably tried everything else. And some of it works for a while. A good job will work for a while. Traveling works for a while, especially if you post it on social media and people tell you how awesome you are and you're better than them. That feels really good. So like, like that works for a while. Relationships work for a while. Everything works for a while. But if you live long enough, you will see that all of them dry up. None of them sustain. None of them satisfy. Only Christ alone can provide you a, a living, dwelling spring of life, spring of water. And the promise of this text is that God can satisfy you. But here's the deal. Jesus says, I'll save you and I'll satisfy you. But you have to give me ultimate surrender. All of the other idols have to fall. I will have no competition. So if you're here and you've never followed Jesus, maybe you're going to walk out and say, that's funny. I, I don't believe that. Maybe you need to talk to someone about this. Or maybe you say, today's the day I want to follow Jesus for the very first time. What we're going to do in just a moment is the band's going to come out, they're going to sing, and we're going to have prayer partners up here in the front. And so what happens every week is, is Sal comes out, he puts his microphone like right here, and he says, hey, join me, stand and sing. And then as you stand, you forget everything I said. you just like, and we're done. Super Bowl time, right? That's okay. I got no judgment. It's fine. It's fine. But today, he's going to say, hey, would you stand and sing? And when you stand, ask God to help you have a burden for the lost world if you're a follower of Jesus. Say, God, help me to invite my friends to house church. Help me. God, help me just process with the Holy Spirit as you sing what God is speaking to you this morning. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, process, maybe pray for the first time and say, God, if you're real, would you speak to me? And then we're gonna make space for the Spirit to move in our midst just like he did in Mars Hill. And we're gonna pray that God would transform us, challenge us, and change us. Because if we're going to be who he's invited us to be in our generation, we've got to be capable of emotional apologetics and showing a world that they can only find what they need in Jesus Christ. So I want to pray that we would be that kind of church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Your word that challenges us and changes us. God, thank you for the story of Mars Hill uh, Lord, I, I know this can feel a little bit different in terms of types of sermons, God, but I pray that, that uh, our people would become experts at interpreting culture, experts at being good news in culture, experts at sharing Jesus in a culture filled with idols, filled with things that don't satisfy. So God, help us have a burden for the lost. God, help us have broken hearts towards people that don't know you. And God, if there are people here that don't know you, I pray that you would supernaturally draw them to yourself. Sermons can't do it. Songs can't do it. Your spirit has to do it. So, Father, I pray your spirit would move in this place. Move in power, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. All right, church. Let's stand and sing.
Father, we need you. Sing this with me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. Let's call him. I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. Come on. I'm calling on the God of David. The shepherd boy courageous I know I will not face Goliath But I've got my own giants Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you now How I need you now Oh rock, oh rock of ages I'm standing your faithfulness Oh, let us call on your name Oh, God, my God Oh, God, my God, I need you Oh, God, my God, I need you now How I need you now Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages I'm standing on your faithfulness
It's your faithfulness we're standing on. We sing. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then. And you will answer now. You are the same God. And our provision, we sing. You are providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God, move in power now. You are the same God. You are our healer, Lord. You are a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were a savior then. You are a savior now. You are the same for you. our church. Can we say that to him? Oh God. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you. How I need you now. Last time. Oh rock, oh rock of I'm standing on your faithful Grace Church, before we close out our service today, we just want to pray a blessing over here, which can be found in Numbers. It's going to be on the screen. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. We pray this in your name. Thank you, Grace, for coming. We hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. Enjoy Super Bowl. Go 49ers.
Thank <laughs> you. 